On this episode, Norman's 13, Rubrics, and 100 FKTs. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Uh, very excited today. We have one of the biggest sort of badasses in the hiking world in, in the last couple of years, Jason Hadrath. Jason, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jason. Uh, yeah. I'm, sto- I'm stoked this finally worked out. Yeah, and we should add, just as a program note, uh, Severia couldn't make it. She's on her mountain biking trip, which you might have heard about. Uh, about a couple episodes back when we had uh, uh, Gary Chrisman on. Um, so we miss her, but she'll be back next week. Um, so Jason, how many FKTs do you have now? As of the end of this summer, I have 115 FKTs. Wow, that's crazy. And like how many of you, is this, is that cumulative or is that like, that's how many you hold and you, you know, gotten say like 130, 140, and then like 13 have been snagged by others? Uh, that's my historical number, 115 okay. historical ones. Um, I would say maybe 40 some, I, I, it's been a long time since I've bothered to go through. Cause the, the reason, I mean, we tend to count them, but historically is that's how the FKT site logs them right, right, right. in gotcha. your, your athlete profile. So I actually have to go through and click through every single one, uh, to find out <laughs> whether or not they've been beaten. Oh, man. And it's like, it actually takes quite a bit of time. Uh, oh, it's one I'm of sure. the, one of the many things that the. Uh, they're hoping to clean up and improve on the site. So like there's actually like notifications when someone beats your FKT and you can kind of keep in touch in that way. Yeah. No, it's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's super neat. I mean, it's a great site. We should plug it. Um, you know, oh, it is an awesome site. Uh, Fastestknowntime.com. It's kind of the it's almost like when you think about it, like the, the league in a way. Right. I mean, as much as you can have one for this, it's almost like an NFL or a Major League Baseball. It's like where all of the for the most part, it's where all of the records are kept. And it's all tracked, at least in the U.S. and worldwide too. But I, I don't know if there's a competing service in Europe or something like that. But uh... Uh, none that I'm really aware of. I mean, pe- people definitely have some opinions about it. Like some people prefer to just call their stuff speed records, sort of harkening back to just like you know, for as long as there have been mountains and humans, I'm sure there have been groups of guys who go, "Well, I've made it up that in in half a passing of the sun," um, you know. So it's like what we're seeing right now is kind of a cool. Because, right, technology's reached a place where it's not just one person's word against another. It's like we've got GPSs on our wrist. We've got phones that geo-stamp our exact location and time when we take a photo. Um, like, we're at a place where we can have portable verification of who was actually there and exactly where they were and when they were there. And so now, because of this sort of, you know, crossing of technology and communication so that like we can also talk about these things on a bigger scale rather than just the 10 guys who live next to the same mountain. Um, yeah, we're kind of in this, uh, I would call it the adolescence of the sport. So it's like we're kind of going through some growing pains and I think that creates some of the back and forth because people are like, well, I, I can't believe this goes on or they don't do this. It's like, well, yeah, but when, you know, when football first became a thing, American football first became a thing, like they were wearing leather helmets and like causing brain damage it's like they had to figure some stuff out um to improve the sport as they went yeah so we're kind of we're kind of in that like figure it out kind of phase right now 
Well, the other crazy, like football, if you look at like the stats in like the 1910s, like 12 people a year were dying, like literally dying. And these are like, you know, like Harvard, all these like rich kids were like dying and they just still kept doing it for years. So, so yeah, there's always going to be like growing pains and that kind of thing. Like years ago, I actually interviewed Peter and Buzz, the, the, um, the two guys that founded the website. Um, gosh, almost 20 years ago now, right? Like, like I think it was uh, 2004, 2005 when they first did it um for a documentary and it was kind of interesting and and the whole concept of why it like you said kind of alluded to earlier like fastest known time because you don't know what someone else has done right so uh it's kind of a, a nod to just in case someone has gone and done something faster and just you know there was no way as far as it. we know as yeah. far as we know <laughs> um what's your now you did i saw your most recent one or i don't know if it's your most the most recent one i followed is you did the um the sierra peaks is that correct yeah, uh, what's known as Norman's 13, because there's 13, 14,000 foot, foot peaks in the Sierra Range. Um, yeah, and that was, that. you know, it's kind of like uh, Nolan's 14 yes. in Colorado. Colorado. It's like right. it's like the the meaner, more badass, older brother of Nolan's. Like, you know, Nolan's, I would say, like most runners who have a sense of navigation and can, like, be comfortable a little bit off trail, like, they probably have a crack at going and, and making it through Nolan's, whether they like hit the cutoff or not for like the 60 hour cutoff. Um, they at least can make it through and survive. Like, you know, death isn't really one of the outcomes, but unless you're a really dialed experienced mountaineer and you know how to rock climb and you know how to route find, there's a distinct probability that you don't, you, you, you don't come out of Norman's. It's, it's definitely, it plays more to the mountaineer than to the runner. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty full on. Yeah, there's yeah. like there's like hang by your fingertips and make Ooh. real rock climbing move type sections on it. Dang. Do you have like a rock climbing, you know, sort of, you know, face climbing, not, you know, background? Is, or, is, or is that just something you've acquired in order to do like that next level of, of uh, these kind of adventures? Um, it was kind of a big pivot that happened in my life. Um, I was very into running, very into triathlon back in 2012 through 2014, start of 2015. Um, I was just kind of making breakthroughs in my training. To I'd qualified for a couple world championships in the 70.3 distance of uh, Ironman. And I was just kind of making the transition up to where my training was hitting that next level of like, oh man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to qualify for Kona this next year. Like, I'm, I'm on another level doing these 140 mile bike rides and getting off and like cruising through 10 mile runs, feeling great. Like, all right, this is the year. And I, I did a combo like that 140 mile bike ride, 10 mile run on a Sunday felt invincible was like finished it and felt like, man, maybe I'll go play Frisbee with my friends. Um, and then on Tuesday went out a car window in a rollover accident mm. and on Wednesday couldn't get my own drink of water. Oh man. Um, and so this hard pivot in life, the first doctor I had was like, oh, yeah, you're going to let that part of your life go, uh, bringing up my love for triathlon and pushing my body and running. Um, and, of course, I mean, like, that was tough, but also sort of a spirit of defiance kind of came out. Like, you you don't know how hard I'm willing to work to get what I want. Um, and I truly brought that to bear on, like, the physical therapy um, and the recovery process, which, you know, it's what we learn as athletes, right? Embrace more discomfort now to get a better outcome later. You know, that's what doing speed work or hard workouts is. Um, so it's like, I brought that to bear on the, the physical therapy process, but 
running took a long time to come back because one of the injuries that happened in the car accident was I completely shredded the ACL and LCL of my right knee and it had to be surgically replaced. Um, so the knee was just a grapefruit, just swollen up, had no range of motion for a long time. Um, and what I started doing is I started hiking because it's like, oh yeah, you can walk up and down steep hills without needing to have the same range of motion in your knee you would have to, you would need to be able to run efficiently. Um, and so I started just hiking up and down hills. Hills led to mountains. Mountains led to bigger mountains. Pretty soon I was getting to the top of mountains where it's like, wait a minute, this has like technical rock climbing at the top. I guess I need to become a rock climber because I don't, I don't know, my personality is such that it's like, if I get up that far, I don't want to have to turn around. <laughs> um, and so started acquiring rock climbing skills at the local climbing gym and building strength and building rope skills and climbing more of these technical peaks and really refining and falling in love with that process and that strengthening process and all the logistics and planning and, and movements that come along with it. And over the course of a couple of years, rehabbed the knee enough that it's like, oh yeah, I can't run fast like I used to per se. Um, not that I was ever that fast. My best marathon ever it was like a 250, you know, 630 miles for oh, the, is that all? For the whole that, marathon. Yeah, that's slow. <laughs> but I mean, in, in the big scheme of things, sure, it's pretty sure, slow, sure. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Compared to Meb Kuflesky, that's slow. But, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. Compared um, to me, that's very fast. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, 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 had to, I had to embrace the idea that I might not ever run that fast again, right? Like, yeah. real, got, got to be realistic. I might not ever qualify for a world championship again. But my agreement with myself was I'm not going to give up until I get back. I'm not going to relent, I guess is a better word, until I get back to doing some version of what I love. And so I got to where, okay, I can, I can at least get out and cruise 20 miles and it doesn't turn into a grapefruit and I'm not crippled for the next few days. And it was like, well, okay, I can climb technical summit blocks and I can now run, run big mileage again, even if I'm not super fast. Um, well, shoot, like what better way to spend a weekend than pick three, four, five technical peaks that are in the same vicinity and see if I can go tag them all in a push. Um, and it was right after that after I was already kind of spending my weekends that way that I discovered FKTs and I'm like, well, shit, this is kind of what I'm already doing. Um, I should just start doing these, start making up my own, start doing cool ones that other people have done that involve this technical sort of mountaineering, um, skill set, whether it's on glacier or on rock or route finding, um, and just fell in love with it. And that's what made me go, okay, I should do a hundred of these. Not because it was like, you know, there's necessarily something special. I mean, humans like silly numbers, right? So why not a big round number like 100? Um, but it was more about the fact that I knew I would create 100 memories that I would be proud of and 100 moments that I enjoyed living. Yeah, I was talking to Jason about, I was talking to Jason about this before you came on and uh, we were getting ready for the show. And I said, so uh, you must be retired now that you've hit 100, but uh, apparently that's not the case. Um, you've got 115 now. What, what's sort of like next after, after 115? I mean, are you going to go for 200 or is, is there like another number or another um, goal that you have looking forward? You know, uh, it's not so much about the, the number anymore. I think... I mean, to some degree, I think what part of the journey became as I go back and I, and I go, okay, what was I really putting myself through as I did this thing? I think to some degree I was putting myself 
almost through another rite of passage in life. You know, something our culture doesn't really do very often for our young people. Um, it's like, oh, you're 16, you drive a car, you're 18, you can vote. It's like, okay, buy cigarettes. Um, it, it was like, okay, this is the gauntlet I'm putting myself through to prove, I, I think in a way sort of, and that's why I did a lot of them solo and unsupported and self-supported instead of on like terrain that a lot of other people would go with a partner. As I think to some degree, there was this reclaiming my personal power, my, my independence, my my full belief in my own ability to, to move under my own power. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of my early uh, FKTs were very much sort of just me. Um, and then you look at my later ones, especially like since the Bulgers uh, 100 peaks, um, since I finished the 100, it's like almost all of them are with other people. It's about sharing sharing these wild experiences with others now because I've gone on my personal journey. Not that I won't revisit, you know, going on vision quests and, and searching out some deep struggle to learn more about myself or to learn how I've changed over time. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, kind of different now. It's more about the experience um, and more about choosing like specific routes that very much play to what I love and the skill sets that I have. And I think, you know, reflecting back, it's like as I put myself through that gauntlet of the journey to 100 FKTs, um, I mean, I beat myself up. It was a lot. There were, I, I, you know, I think of three back-to-back -back weekends where I did three infinity loops over volcanoes. Um, I did Shasta one weekend and then Adams the next weekend and then Hood the next weekend. Um, and it's like those are, you know, 50-plus miles, like... 30,000 30, 30, feet avert, um, you know, just kind of like bang, 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 just beating myself up. Um, and it's like, I loved it. You know, I was super passionate about it. And the, you know, part of the reason is like sometimes your season, your window, your weather window and condition window is pretty small to pull off something like a infinity loop where you have to climb over the mountain twice and do a half circumnavigation on either side. It's like that window where the trail is clear and dry, but the routes are still in on the mountain is kind of a small, small window of the year. So it was like, well, it's like, this is the three weeks where these are possible. So bang, bang, bang. <laughs> um, and yeah, now it's kind of, it's like, okay, I, I probably won't push like that again. Um, I'll more like refine a specific route and rehearse a specific route and then go out and try to execute it really cleanly. Um, I think. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'll slip back in and be like, you know what? What the heck? Let's just go for 200. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question. Can you get an FKT for like to 100 FKTs? With that FKT, right? If you're the fastest known to do 100 FKTs, is that in and of itself an, an FKT? Uh, man, I feel like are you get getting... in trouble there. Because see, uh, there, there are a couple other guys over 100. Right. And uh, at this point now, since, since I got to 100... And, you know, one of the things that some other people have tossed around and brought it up with me is it's like you look at some of these other guys' lists and some other people who are climbing toward 100, and they're like, you know, one, one of them uh, that it was brought to my attention is it's like they're all like one hour or less or like maybe two hour, like 5Ks and 10Ks on flat trails that the person cruised at like eight or nine minute miles. It's like there's not a lot of inspiration to be found there. Um, and it's like, to me, the real spirit of, 
what an FKT was supposed to be. Is it supposed to be like an epic push to some degree? It can be short and fast, but it should be on some kind of terrain that's representative of the area that presents some kind of kind of challenge in the area. And it should be at least some kind of expression of the very best you can bring to it, not a not a casual like tempo run, you know, three times a week. Um, and so I think if you incentivize the quickest to get to 100, the problem is you encourage people to come up with, well, really simple, really lame FKTs. And then you kind of <laughs> you lose, lose any meaning of, like, why would you bother to do an FKT? Is it something cool? Well, I don't know, because look, this 30-minute jog in this uh, golf course is a FKT. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, I think there should be. A, a certain distinction. It, yeah, it seems like there ought to be some minimum requirements, you know, like vertical or distance or, you know, the technicality of the route that is a measure of, you know, whether it's worthy of even tracking that FKT. We'll see. Like you say, I mean, they, they do have some rubrics. They say like, okay, it should be at least five miles and at least 500 feet of vert, unless there's some like, really classic reason why why it's not like maybe it's one of the flat irons or something where it's like oh this is super classic but it's less than five miles trailhead to trailhead um so it's like there should be some like regional or historic reason if it's going to be accepted and it doesn't fit those those rubrics um but the problem is unless you have involved people from every area of the globe and you just have people who are like overseeing like wide swaths of land that they've never visited, someone can just sort of make a claim that it's like, oh, well, this trail is on a tourism list, so uh, it should be an FKT. Um, and then also, you know, something, you know, want to talk about the adolescence of the sport. Um, it's tough to very cleanly verify like have a way to verify, you know, has someone already done it faster? And like personally, I, to me, when I did my list, like I didn't worry about it much if I was doing a super difficult long traverse of a, of a ridgeline where it's like, okay, it's super unlikely that if a team of dudes have done this before, that they did it like in light fast style without sleeping at night um, as fast as they could. Like maybe it happened, uh, but it's less likely than if it's like I go run the local famous trail from end to end and then say, Hey, I think I ran this the fastest. Um, especially when I'm not that fast of a runner. Um, and so I think like, I was really careful that if I was doing something that was more likely to have been done by other people, I would go like skim through Strava segments and like, see if I could find people who had done the whole like trail end to end or something and how fast they did it. And I would make sure I could beat at least the fastest time that I could find, right? That, that you know, a reasonable amount of research. Um, and I have had a couple FKTs that I've had taken down from my list during my journey to 100 because I really took this seriously. If somebody, if someone else knew someone that had run a faster time and, you know, they could reasonably prove it beyond just like, mm -hmm. I say I ran this this fast, um, mm -hmm. I would go, okay, like take my name off. I don't want to have, I don't want to have a list of 100 uh, fastest because I didn't bother to do any research times. I want it to be the fastest known time. <laughs> um, and then I think, I think some other people, it's like they, they won't even bother to like check Strava 
you know, even though that's not that hard to do to like click through a few Strava segments and go, oh, wow, that, that, that trail's been done end to end in six hours. So if I do it in seven, I shouldn't submit to the FKT website. Um, and so this is some of the stuff they're like currently trying to work through to figure out how to say like partner up with some Strava data, Strava metadata, and make it easier for regional editors to be able to tell when someone is submitting a good route and also then when someone wants to submit an FKT on a route uh, that hasn't been previously submitted to be, be like, okay, is this a, an actual fast time for this versus just somebody who's claiming a fast time? So two things right. to clarify. I think most of our audience knows what Strava is, but just in case they don't, why don't you mention that? And I'm sure many in our audience have never heard of the uh, Washington, you know, the Bulger, the Bulger uh, challenge. So maybe you want to just quick definition, background on what those are? Absolutely. Uh, Strava is a, well, I think it's probably the most widespread um, like run and ride tracking tool out there. So, you know, you can use it on your phone. You can upload through your, through a GPS watch. And it just is sort of like a social media for tracking your running data and your biking data and, you know, other types of things have been added now too, like Whitewater. Um, so it's basically like a fitness tracking um, website app. Um, and so one cool feature it has is it can be used to sort of keep track of what are called segments. You know, so how fast a person has run from, uh, you know, a certain you know, one certain place to another certain place, whether that's up a mountain or across a city. Um, but with Strava segments, it has to follow a very specific route. And if you're even a little bit off of that route, um, then it doesn't count. Um, you know, and that doesn't really work for, say, like climbing a mountain, where depending yeah. on if there's snow or less snow, you might climb 10 feet to the right or 15 feet to the left. Um, and so it needs a different form of verification. And that's where like FKTs come in really handy which actually segues nicely into the Washington Bulgers because it's a list of 100 peaks, the 100 tallest peaks of the state of Washington. And so for record keeping on, on something like that, like you can't just have like, oh, you know, the segment starts here and ends here uh, because you can climb the peaks in any order, whatever order you think is most efficient for you and based on the weather that year and the snowfall and uh, fire risk you can, you know, adjust and change order, you know, midstream. And so you need a way of tracking something that doesn't, you know, have to follow an exact set of footprints across uh, a, a previously established track. Um, so FKTs come in really handy for that or for things that are so long that, you know, like the PCT, you know, you, don't, you can't just, you know, there's no watch that exists that you can just turn it on at the start of the PCT and, you know, 55 days later, it's, you know, hasn't needed recharged or turned off or made any, you know, you haven't had any mistakes where it, you know, tracks cleanly. <laughs> I, I got a question about uh, one of the FKTs you got last year in May, I think it was, the San Jacinto Traverse. And a lot of people talk about doing the Cactus to Clouds Trail up, you know, from Palm Springs up the Skyline Trail and up to the summit of San Jacinto as being like, one of the hardest hikes that you can do, you know, it's climbs 10,000 feet. And I don't know. It's like 23 miles, something like that. Tell us about the San Jacinto Traverse and how that differs. And then the other thing I wanted to add, I have a follow on question to that once, once you kind of describe what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the Traverse is, you know, just like the, 
you know, the word traverse would make you think. It goes all the way over the top and down the other side. You could call it a crossing, perhaps more accurately, since it's not like you're up on a ridge line traversing. You're just kind of going up and over and down the other side and then back up and over to where you started. Um, but yeah, so basically it's it just adds more mileage and more vert to something that already is kind of considered really hard. <laughs> uh, so... That's insane. You know, it's like I have a friend who did uh, Cactus to Clouds, I think, once. And he's like, I'll never do. He climbed Everest. But he said, I'll never do Cactus to Clouds again. You know, it's just like it's brutal. And I don't know, it's punishing. Um, but when you, one of the reasons I wanted to do a follow on question is well, I know I saw on the FKT site, you know, some of the comments as you like, oh, I'm going to do an attempt this weekend. And, you know, people will say, you know, basically signal their intent. And you can track me. Here's the tracking link and all of the, that kind of information. And I noticed that you finished, you got the FKT, but there was like another two guys, uh, Chad Bingston and, and Marquis, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, um, who had also gotten the FKT like a little bit before. And then you beat that. What I loved about that little sort of anecdote was that you you said we're waiting to submit our FKT you know final record until they've submitted theirs, so that they get their place in the record book. Basically, is, is that what it's about? Uh, I mean, I can't say. I don't. I guess I don't know. I'm weird. I you know, like I said, I've had FKTs taken off of my list. If I find out after the fact, someone else finds out after the fact that hey, I found this historical person that did it faster, or I just have a buddy who's done mm -hmm. it faster before you did it, like there's something about just the way I see the world and the way I interact with the world that it's like, I want that, that real authenticity with my experience as much as is possible. Right. It's like, there are limits to, you know, there might be faster times that just never get, you know, maybe the guy never told a single other person, you know, it's like, there's just no way to find that out. But if there's any way I want it to be real. Um, and this is kind of in that same way. It's like, we went faster than them. Like, here's the crazy part. This is actually a really crazy story. So rewind. I'd been eyeballing this route since I discovered it like a couple of years prior to when this attempt happened. So I knew this traverse existed and I kept looking at it going, oh yeah, at some point somebody's going to do this and I'll have to beat their time. But it just kept sitting there undone for like two or three years. It might've been three years between when I first saw it and when I actually did it. And then uh, Rob Manley gets in touch with me because he like loves some of the other FKT stuff I'm doing and mentions, well, I live near uh, San Jacinto and I'm planning to do this traverse FKT. And I'm like, no way. I've been planning to do that. You live near there. I'll fly into the airport. You pick me up from the airport. We'll drive to it. We'll crush it. Drive me back to the airport. I'll fly home and I'll be back at work on Monday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, and, just another weekend. Uh, Ontario or Palm Lash Springs? Yeah. <laughs> was that Ontario or Palm Springs? What airport? Uh, Palm Springs. Okay. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it. Keep it. Keep it yeah. right there. Yeah. Um, plus, it was cheap flights from the the airports I'm near, so it was great. Um, so, anyways, like, you know, just finally, like, just go. Okay, pull the trigger on this thing. Let's do it. Um, as we're out there, we're starting our trip back after completing the the trip across, and we run past these dudes. We're at a spring refilling um, our water on the on the backside. So off of the normal ascent route, like when you're doing the descent on the other side and we're coming back up it after fully descending and we stopped to refill our water and cruising down the trail, 
these other two dudes that are dressed in like running vests and all that stop to fill up at the same spring. And you know, the regular chat like, oh, da da da, who are you? What are you up to today? And they're like, we're doing the San Jacinto Traverse. And we're like, no way, we're doing the San Jacinto Traverse. Um, <laughs> and nobody's done it, right? Yeah. And nobody's done it. It sat there for you know two or three years, completely undone. And then on the exact same day, both of us start. But they started on one side and we started on the other. Um, they ended up starting earlier and had a slower finishing time. But they finished before we did. And so that's why you know sort of that sense of justice in me was like, no, like we need to make sure they have a chance to submit first because they were the first ones to complete this that we know of. Um, so they deserve to have their time like not accidentally like not accepted because it's like, no, your time's not fast enough. It's like, well, no, their time right. came first, even if it, I think it was like by less than three hours, right? Like they finished yeah. and then three hours later we finished. Um, but it's like that three hours meant for three hours they held the record. <laughs> and so in my head, it's like they need to be able to submit first. And we should hold off and let that get verified and pop up on the site, and then we'll make sure we submit. <laughs> so, so they had the FKT FKT for a day or for three hours, actually. <laughs> yeah, basically for three hours. And, and how much did you? How much faster were you? How much did you beat their time by? Uh, I want to say we were two or three hours faster. I think they okay. did like seventeen hours, and we did like fourteen or something. So, so at least <laughs> it was like a longer. It wasn't like you know, five minutes, right? Like you beat them the same day and it was five minutes. You, you definitely, you know, you substantial amount of time. It was know. motivating for us though. Yeah, Cause it's sure. like, yeah. oh, you know, like they are going to finish first. Cause they were obviously way further along than us at that point. Cause they were already doing their final descent and we were still reascending to the top. So it's like, oh, no matter what, they're going to finish before us. Right. So we have to be sure, like we can't blow up and yard sale so much time that we don't go faster. Otherwise, well, it's not like you get nothing. You still get the awesome experience of being out there. But it is a little heartbreaking if you think you're going to come away with an FKT and then someone else snipes it from you that day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so you didn't know at that point if they, you know, you would finish in a in a shorter time than they're finished. There you was, knew they would finish before you, but you didn't know. There was no guarantee. Yeah, it was uh it was motivating. It was like, "Okay, keep the gas mm. pedal down. Let's go." <laughs> Do they tell you how, how yeah, did they give you an indication? Did they say, "Oh yeah, we're like eight hours in," you know, or or, or did you or did you guys just kind of not broach that? Um, I'm trying to remember. They might have dropped a little bit of beta on how fast they were moving, and we kind of felt we we like felt optimistic that we were moving faster. Um, I remember mm. I remember that we felt optimistic. I'm not sure exactly why that was though. That that, that yeah, it makes me wonder. Like, what is your success to miss ratio like do you ever I, i'm sure you've had at least one fkt attempt that you didn't get you know um do you know do you have any idea like how when you go for an fkt you've done your homework you've done your research you know what you have to hit and you you know you know that you've got the training and the experience or whatever but things happen so have you have you had many misses 13 13 misses during oh, the journey, journey to 100 yeah. <laughs> And on the unlucky, th unlucky number thirteen, right? So yeah, yeah kind of, right? kind of crazy, yeah. right? Kind of crazy. <laughs> kind of works out. That kind of worked out that way. <laughs> is is there any kind of pattern or thing that you would take away from those misses? Like what, what was the thing that caused it? Was it weather? Was it something else? You know, an um, injury or? So one of them that happened early on was 
an overestimation of how fast I could move while fatigued. Um, cause you know, like I mentioned, I was kind of, when I was doing the journey to 100, I was kind of rattling these off in pretty short order with, without a lot of rest in between. Um, and so I wasn't ever at like a hundred percent when I attempt, I attempted. And so I attempted one, uh, it was a link up of seven peaks, I think in like Napa Valley, California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went into it and started off just like on pace but it became very clear over the course of the day that it was like, oh, my legs are melting really fast and ended up just like by the fifth or sixth peak was off record pace. And there was just like no, no saving it and just kind of eventually toward the final peak, just like walked it in. Um, and it was like a cool, beautiful route, but that was kind of the first like, okay, like since I'm the bigger vision is I'm trying to do this 100 FKT project, it's like I have to be really precise in how I estimate my ability to move horizontally at certain paces and my ability to move vertically at certain paces and cover cover vert. And I have to make sure I, I more accurately assess that in my future attempts so that I'm not like, you know, blowing blowing my legs and my, you know, cardio multiple times like every other week and not coming away with an FKT. Mm-hmm. Um, so and- it did make me more precise. And then another one was like uh, I made an attempt on a on actually Norman's my first attempt on Norman's after rehearsing the technical section to make sure I could make all of the rock climbing moves for the five peaks, well, six peaks that uh, have technical, like make it or end up in the hospital or dead, like rock climbing moves. Um, And I went out to attempt it and it was just a freak, like seven miles in, I get the blue triangle of death on the, I had Garmin at the time, now I'm with Koros and that's part of the reason. I got the blue triangle of death just out of the blue on my, my, I think it was a Garmin 935 or something. Um, so it just failed. And so it's like, oh, shoot, I don't have any way to verify with a GPS track. I'm like, okay, at least my spot tracker is still on. And then my spot tracker was dead. Mm. And I'm like, oh, there goes my second form of verification. And so it's like, okay, well, I'll try to turn on recording on my phone. And it was an older phone and like the battery died so fast that it was like, well, there's even with the small rechargeable battery pack I had with me, it was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to verify this record in any way. Not to mention, um, like, if something went wrong on something that technical, you didn't have, you know. Yep, no emergency Right, device. no emergency, you know, whatever. And, again, if you're going fast, you know, it does up the risk level on these things a little bit. I hope so, you're I assume you're safe, and I hope that's the case, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it just made sense for all those reasons uh, to just back off and withdraw from that one. And that one was one of the most heartbreaking ones, actually, because it's like – I don't know. I can own it when it's like, hmm, I didn't show up ready physically for this um, or I wasn't ready mentally for this because I had a different one where um, I'd like had a really big week and really stressful and I like made a an FKT attempt, a, a previous FKT attempt um, actually the same day that morning that it was just clear that it wasn't going to work out. Um and I knew I hadn't trained for it. So it's kind of like, okay, whatever. Like I kind of knew that wasn't going to come together. It was kind of a, a long shot. And then I just immediately went to a different FKT uh, that was very technical, lots of rock climbing, and just kind of figured I could throw it together. And so wasn't respecting it right, wasn't in the right headspace, was just trying to like not, n- not, not end up with an FKT for that weekend. And so like launched into it and it became very clear like, okay, I'm not, I'm not in the headspace to just like push this thing through. So you know, just kind of down climbed back from the initial start of the technical terrain and jogged it back in. Um, and so that was a day where like both of them were misses and I was like, okay, like I need to, 
I need to make sure I have my head together when I'm doing this stuff um, and that I'm doing it for the right reason and not just trying to force things. Um, yeah. So there, yeah, there were different lessons at different times um, from different FKTs. But yeah, not showing up physically or mentally ready, it's like, okay, that's on me. But on this one, it was like I was physically and mentally dialed and it was just like all my gear failed. And so that one was just like, it's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't do anything. I wrong. know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a heartbreaker. Well, you, you've mentioned your, your journey to 100. So why don't we talk about the film, which was uh, having seen it a few months ago is why I initially reached out to, uh, reached out to have you on uh, the journey to 100. I mean, obviously it's about your, your, your Bulger's trip, but why don't you tell us about the movie and the process of making the movie? Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, I'm, uh, first off, I want to shout out the creative team that really did all the heavy lifting with editing down, you know, thousands of hours of you know footage and and voice and audio and all that stuff into a thirty minute film that is amazing for what they managed to the amount of story and heart that they packed in, which I wouldn't have wanted it to be any less because the last thing I really want is just to be some dude that is bragging in a bar like uh, at my heart at my heart level it's like the reason I do big stuff is because it gives me permission to speak inspiration to my students and to other people about what's possible for them and so my real heart like my my real mission for the film is that it had some level of it would instill a sense of belief in people who watched it regardless of whether they were interested in mountains or FKTs or something else and I really think the creative team both captured the journey to 100, the amazingness of the Bulger's terrain with the glaciers and the rock and the difficulty of a 100-mountain undertaking over the course of 50 days, um, but then also captured this bigger message of human beings feeling empowered to chase after their dreams um, that for me is you know, kind of the whole point of being out there is you know, I'm, I'm a teacher. I teach elementary physical education. And, you know, I literally do tell my students like, hey, it's worth it to keep a strong fit body. It's worth it to learn to manage your fear and your frustration. It's worth it to, to put yourself together into a, a strong human being that's capable and competent because there's a whole amazing world out there that, that's at your fingertips if you do. Um, and it's, it, makes, it gives me permission to say that authentically if I'm out there doing it myself and I genuinely feel that way about what I'm doing. Um, and yeah, so the creative team absolutely knocked it out of the park with this Journey to 100 film. Um, I'll make sure that you guys have a link to put in the show notes. So yeah, if people course. are like, oh, I better go watch that right now. They can pause my voice talking and go watch it first. And then, okay, now they're back and, and they understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, first off, a shout out to them. As far as the, the process, um, a lot of it was filmed on GoPro between my climbing partners and I. Uh, Nathan Longhurst was a, a big, uh, he climbed 65 of the peaks with me, super cool kid. He just did the SPS list himself this year, um, which was super cool to watch. He like skied a lot of classic Sierra ski lines and climbed a lot of classic rock routes uh, during the course of climbing all of those peaks on that list. Um, so super cool to see him kind of, cause he was 21, I should say he was 21 when he climbed 65 of the Bulgers with me and became the youngest finisher of that list when he climbed the rest that year on his own. Um, and so it's cool that he's 22 and since meeting me, he's climbed 
347 peaks. Um, so yeah, super cool <laughs> wow. side outcome. Uh, but yeah, anyways, he got a lot of GoPro footage and then, uh, on four of the days out in the mountains with the Bulgers effort, um, film crews actually came out with, you know, professional quality cinematography equipment, um, and captured some really rad footage of what those mountains actually look like and feel like to move through. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. I mean, it, for me, again, there's sort of that purity of effort is always a, a part of it, especially coming out of those earlier ones where I mentioned it was like reclaiming my personal power. And so a lot of it was like, I really want to be pushing myself to my very best. I want, I want this record to be a representation of my absolute fullest effort across this terrain. Um, and so being willing to give up a few hours here and there to let the film crew come along, it was, it was, I had to wrestle with myself. It's like, okay, give a little on the purity of the push now and have permission and a tool to speak into people's lives for years to come. It's like, okay, future Jason, future Jason will thank you for this <laughs> current Jason. So just be okay with it. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, it was an interesting experience. It definitely added a layer of, uh, of logistics and coordination and a bit of stress to the, to an already really, really difficult time consuming, uh, logistical and physical challenge. And what was the, how long did it take you to total to do, to do all 100? 50 days, 23 hours, 43 minutes. So, I mean, you just do the math on that. You're doing at least two a day. I mean, that's, that's, that's crazy, especially considering how hard and technical, you know, some of those are, I mean, I'm sure some of them are not as hard and, technical but i mean you're gonna do rainier and baker and adams right you're doing all all of those you know obviously those are the high you know the higher peaks there <laughs> yep yep and those are some of the easier peaks <laughs> yeah i bet well i mean some uh, of, yeah some of those north cascades and stuff are like very technical right just like little pieces of rock sticking up <laughs> yeah it was pretty real. i think uh you know i i always say that four of them had trails to the top because i'm kind of generous with my definition of a trail right um it's like if you have any sort of a path to follow it's a trail but one of the one of the old guys john roper who was one of the original ones to finish the list and has a whole bunch of first descents in the north cascades he's like which four do you think have a trail there are two that have a trail <laughs> um i'm like okay you're 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 in charge here okay mr roper um so yeah it's like that gives you a little bit of a sense of the scale and i mean you know for people that don't know washington it's a temperate rainforest so yeah. what a lot of people call bushwhacking would would qualify as open forest walking in the state of washington it's it's like if your partner is 10 feet away from it's you, seriously thick. you yeah. can't see yeah. him. There was a, there was a night we were coming down the hill and, uh, my girlfriend, Ashley Winchester, who's a badass in her own right. She has a, like 54 FKTs to her name and, and a um, previous guest on this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, oh, there, yeah, that's right. Go, go look up her episode. If we you were going to bring her up, we were going to bring her up at some point, but yeah. <laughs> um, so there we go. Shameless plug for her. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, there was one night she had hiked in camp and she was waiting for us to come down from be bagging two peaks. And then we were going to go from that camp to bag two or three more. And she kept thinking like, oh, I'll see their headlamps coming down and I'll be able to know when they're coming so I can like turn on hot water for dinner. And she, she sat there staring. She, she told me this after the fact. Actually, fairly recently she told me about this one. I, she hadn't brought it up because there were so many other stories. And she's like, okay, I'm going to see, I'm going to be able to see them coming from a while, for a while out. And she said, literally you were 10 feet away from me 
when your headlamps became visible. <laughs> and it's like, that's oh, how thick, that's how thick the bushwhacking you're doing is. Um, so she had no chance to turn on the hot water, water needless <laughs> to say. Um, but, but we you, were just happy you, to have her there. <laughs> yeah, and you didn't break up with her then and there, so you know it's it's not it's not a happy ending, right? <laughs> happy ending. You got your sure. you got your hot water. Well, you and know, the real eventually. the real you just had the, to wait a little while. The, the 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 real way to frame that is she didn't break up with me right then and there, <laughs> right? Like what a cool person to not only yeah. be willing to support something like this, but to be stoked to be a part of it and to be stoked to see me succeed. Like, I mean, it's rare that you find people in life that are willing to, to partner and understand what it is you're taking aim at when you aim at big, ridiculous, audacious goals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, shameless plug for her. Yeah. Well, you're both kind of unicorns. Cause I mean, where, what's her number at now? I mean, she was around, I think over 50 or around 50 when we had her on and that was a good, that was last year. So yeah, I um, think, I think she's uh, like 54 or 55 now. She's been taking okay. aim at some bigger, more difficult ones. Yeah. Like she just did the, uh, the southbound yeah, JMT. Uh, JMT unsupported. Yeah, saw that. Um, was... You know, not not just a casual, you know, one hour no. loop run. Yeah, not <laughs> exactly. at all. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> um, have you now? Do you have any? What's what's sort of like on your bucket list now? Are there any of these longer routes that you want to do? Um, do you you know what, what's next for you? Yeah. So this, I, I kind of like, obviously. The Bulgers FKT, you know, 100 peaks for my 100th FKT was kind of all-consuming, right? I, you know, as a school teacher, I have like 70 days-ish off for summer. And so it was kind of like that the biggest project that would reasonably fit with a little bit of like safety room in a school summer. And I was like, whew, that was pretty all-consuming. I think I want to take it a little easier this summer and just go after some shorter stuff, you know, like three-day pushes on Norman's 13. Um and then I also did one called Convoluted Bliss that had only ever been finished once up in Tuolumne Meadow. Um, mm. That's like 40 miles of uh, ridge line at 10,000 wow. uh, 10, to 12,000 feet. Um, and we were the second team to ever finish it, and we cut the finishing time in half. Um, and then actually a cool part of the Normans push is I didn't just break Normans in that push. What I'd figured out by doing the numbers and the logistics was that if you broke the record by enough on the Norman's 13 Traverse, you were actually ahead of the human-powered record for the California 14ers because there's a total of 15 14ers in California. Yeah. Um, and the, you know the person had biked between all the normal trailheads, but I figured out that at South Lake, if you beat the Norman's 13 by enough, you're ahead of that person. And so I slept for a few hours and then hopped on the bike and biked to White Mountain and biked up to Shasta, you know, about 420 miles of biking, I think, roughly. Yeah. And tagged those two and broke two records in one push. Uh, I shaved nine hours off of Norman's. It was three hours, 11 minutes, and I did it three hours, two minutes. And then by the end of biking to the final two peaks and climbing them, uh, the previous record on that had been eight days, eight hours, I think, and I shaved it down to six days, 22 hours. Dang. Um, so yeah, it was a super cool, super cool tour day, California. Yeah. Um, definitely had a good time with it. Um, and then actually that segued into a big fat failure on an attempt in uh, Salt Lake city on doing the first ever double whirl. Um, I'd kind of had the vision, this idea, you know, cause as people have probably taken away at this point, I like to find things that are really, really hard and then find a harder variation of them. Um, <laughs> 
And so it was like, oh, nobody's done an out and back of the world, a Wasatch Ultimate Ridge link up uh, above Salt Lake. Like, that needs to be done. Somebody's going to do it eventually. So I partnered up with a, a younger fella named Chris Fisher, the guy that had done the 400K vert record in a month. Um, and he was stoked to give something more technical a try. And I'm like, dude, I can help you through the technical sections. You're totally strong enough to handle the vert and the mileage. Like, let's do this. Um, and then the crazy thing is like, I was still massively fatigued from this, you know, six day, 22 hour push, obviously, you know, cutting sleep and on the bike legs, I was biking. Like one day I did 200 miles with five hours of the day being above a hundred degrees. Um, so it was like, it was hard on my body, but you know, not wanting to sit still because I'm still ADHD and I don't sit still well. So I was completely worked just, you know, trashed from like the heat and the mileage and the vert um of the pushes in california but it was like i thought i was moving well enough to at least because there was no no established time on a double whirl right it's like if you finish you get it um but the problem that came up was the weather gave us a deadline Mm. and thunderstorms were rolling in and the last place you want to be is stuck on a razor ridge line with no descent option during a thunderstorm completely exposed. And so kind of the thought that crossed my mind as we did the first lap, the first single whirl, you know, which is the ultimate, one of the ultimate tests above Salt Lake, right? Like, you know, single whirl is an odd thing to say, cause it used to just be the whirl. Um, and I was kind of running the numbers in my head. It's like, okay, Chris is moving better than me. Cause he's fresh and I'm not, if I drop out, he has a chance of moving fast enough to beat the thunderstorms. But if I stay in and just try to like be hopeful that, cause I, I knew I I've suffered deeply before, like being really bankrupt for really long amounts of time. I mean, obviously with what, what I, what I've done. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's like, I knew I could finish, but the problem was it was like, I risk both of us having to abort at the final exit point at Cardiff pass because the thunderstorms roll in and then neither of us get it. And it was kind of this like, this reckoning moment because you know I've, I've pondered in my mind is like okay how how will i know the difference if i'm just doing this for my own ego versus if i actually have a creative vision and i want the vision to be seen through and it was like well shit this is the moment like <laughs> this is it like do i care more about the vision or do i care about my name being on it and it was very clear to me like the moment i got down to the trailhead because he'd kind of run ahead to i was like dude just go ahead and run ahead down and like get some extra sleep while I hobble down this. Um, and I got down there and I'm like, Hey dude, I think you should go on alone cause you can beat the thunderstorms. And he was just like, you sure, man? I was like, yeah, like go do it. Um, and so he launches into the second half and he starts cause he's, he's more nervous and, and, uh, less experienced on uh, technical terrain than me. So he starts calling up different locals like, hey, will you come pace me for a section through the night? Will you come pace me through this technical section? And he ends up like finding pacers for all these different parts for the whole way back up until the final uh, 11 mile push across the final technical section to get to the exit down to um, the finishing trailhead. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, again, that full test of, well, do you care about the vision or do you care about yourself? Because he's like, yeah, I can't find anybody to, to see me through the final part and like racing the thunderstorms and all that. And you, know, I'd gotten some sleep and it's like, well, I'll do it, dude. Like, hmm. let's go. And so after doing a, a full 36 mile whirl with 18,000 feet of vert and getting, you know, one night of sleep, I hopped back out there and pushed him through the final 
11 miles to to get him the record on the the double whirl the first ever completion of the double whirl and it was kind of a i don't know there's something there's something really special about that one um in my mind because you know it's like you you want to know that you're in it for more than just yourself and you know it's easy to question that when other people want to question that about you and it was like okay no you know what i'm i'm clearly i'm in this not just to aim high for myself but also to lift others yeah um well and let's there's no shortage of trolls in this fkt world obviously um so i'm sure you've had some just i mean when you get that many, you know, records, there's going to be those people. I mean, again, you can only do it for yourself. You can't worry about them ever, which is what I'd say. But, you know, I'm assuming you've had some pretty like epic trollings and some, some controversy, you know, some controversy with them. How, how has that been for you? You know, better than you would expect. Okay. Most people are like, like we all know about this trail running and adventure community. Like most people, it's just the shit is too hard to be fake and to be shallow and to be, angry it's like to go out and really do this stuff you you kind of have to have like had a reckoning with yourself and so most of the people who have anything negative to say either have no real you know they're not in the arena right like the old quote you know the man in the arena yeah it's like they don't they don't really have any context to be making a statement that should have any weight or if they do you know anyone that has enough experience to like have been in the arena enough. It's like all they have is respect, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's that's the cool part. And so it's been pretty pretty few and far between that I've actually had people cause me any heartache. Well, that's good. Well, that was kind of what I meant by trolls, because because those are the ones that seem to you know cause the most trouble, right? You don't hear other athletes you know bagging on each other. It's like armchair quarterback, you know, kind of people that you know wouldn't be able to do this on their own that somehow have seemed to have just, just focus on this stuff and, and uh, comment ceaselessly. <laughs> Pretty much. And I'm sure you guys, I mean, having your own podcast, I'm sure, I'm sure you get it for being willing to put yourself out there as hosts and like, you know, you're doing nothing except putting other people's stories out there. And then someone wants to come along and be like, your podcast is this or that or sucks or whatever. Uh, I'm sure you've had to deal with it too. And it's like, Oh, well that person is just, well, you know what? I I don't know. I can't recall a single one from the podcast, but you know, for my movies, I've had you know, especially the first one. That one got quite a, got a fair amount of trolling. So that that you know, that was that one. Uh, yeah, but you know, for me, it's like a badge of success. If you if you achieve something, beat an FKT or a movie that hits a certain level of popularity enough that people, you know, you get a hundred, two hundred, three hundred people writing negative comments on it, then that's just you know. That's success in and of itself, right? That's because you actually achieve something, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I yeah. well, it means you have that many more people who are saying positive things about it. So yeah, and it's always like a hundred to one. It's just sometimes the negative ones. Just it's human nature, I think, for those to stick. You know, <laughs> they're amplified. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's t- it's it's t- you know you can have you can have a uh, hundred people say something nice and then one person questions you in some small way and you're like oh man everybody doubts me no they don't they don't yeah yep yep so I, i'm gonna ask you the same question i asked i asked ashley that i remember now because i know no one will ever tell you what their favorite fkt is so my way around that and to make it a more sort of interesting question that i might actually get an answer from you on is which one would you be most likely to go and try to get again if somebody took it from you mm. Mm, that's a great question 
I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came up with it, so you know. <laughs> of course, yeah. that's. I mean, it was me. <laughs> yeah, I'm so kidding. No, I'm yes, totally kidding. Totally kidding. Probably the best question you've ever been asked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah oh, there should be a, a website that tracks oh. best questions. You know. I know right? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> power rankings of the yeah, best exactly. podcast hosts. Exactly. All right, here we go. Final, final fantasy or <laughs> yeah. fa- fantasy podcasting. Yeah. Um, oh, let's think about this. What would I definitely go after again if somebody took it for me? Oh, I know. And this is one of my favorites too. The Yosemite picnic. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's a route that I came Yosemite up with. Yosemite picnic. It doesn't sound very hard if I'm being honest, but, but go ahead. Tell us what- Tell us what Yosem- it is. Yeah, the Yosemite picnic. Let's talk about how it's not very hard. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, looking yeah. at it. Okay. It's 100 miles. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's talk about that 100 miles. Um, so I came up with it with, uh, with definite support from uh, Ryan Tates, the guy that did it with me. He had this idea of doing uh, what he wanted to call the Bozo uh, Ironman, uh, Bishop Bozo Ironman. So he was going to kind of start from Bishop and bike up to Yosemite and then do like the rock climbing loop up there. Um, but I was like, no, 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 dude, like we've got to put this all inside the park. Like it needs to be inside the park and find the most aesthetic expression of a multi-sport push within Yosemite. Because uh, uh, for context, the Grand Teton picnic was the first ever picnic established on uh, obviously Grand Teton and Grand Teton National Park. And it starts from Jackson, um, you know, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is right there near, near it. And you bike from there to Jenny Lake. You swim right across the middle of Jenny Lake. And then you climb to the top of the Grand Teton, which involves some fifth-class climbing, some fifth-class scrambling. And then you down-climb, swim back to your bike, and bike back to town. So a human-powered, multi-sport adventure day. And I, I loved the idea. And it's, it's been you know covered in a lot of different articles and some different videos. And lots of different people have attempted it. I'm like, oh, man, I love – because I, I was a triathlete, right? So I have this skill set for multi-sport. And so I started looking for these other places that had beautiful expressions of the same thing. And I was wanting to do one in Yosemite um, that involved a few beautiful things that were there. And so the, the change to the bike route we made was we, it starts and finishes right below El Cap at mm-hmm. the bridge there. Um, so it's a really easy, distinguishable start and finish with just you're just staring up at one of the most magnificent pieces of rock in the entire world, let alone the United States. Um, and so then you bike gaining, uh, I think it's just shy of 5,000, no, it's more than 5,000 feet of vert, um, over 43 miles. You bike up to Tenaya Lake, which by itself is like an iconic, you know, there are people who just go around swimming across lakes who are yeah. just like open water swimmers. And it's like a bucket list swim, um, one of the most beautiful swims in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I found that out actually after the fact that it was like that well known for swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you swim right through the middle of that lengthways, uh, about, a, about 1.1 miles. You get out and then you do sort of a famous rock climbing link up, an easy moderate rock climbing link up called the Tuolumne Triple Crown, which is Tanaya Peak, which is like 5'4", five, 5'5", five, five slab climbing. And then you run across to Mathis Crest, which is, uh, I think has a 5'7", crux, um, and is like a mile of razor ridge climbing. So, you know, the you got a thousand feet plus of air on either side. And you're like, imagine climbing across the back of your couch, except instead of the back of your couch, you're a thousand feet off either side. Um, and so you got this beautiful mile of just amazing traversing. Um, and then you drop down and you do the iconic 
uh, cathedral peak, which is just, you know, if a kid was to draw a mountain that, it, mm-hmm. you know, perfectly triangular and pointy, and it's a five, six rock climb where it's like, you can kind of choose your own adventure. If you want to climb in a crack, you can climb in a crack. If you want to climb face climbing movements, you can climb face climbing movements, but all of it is like five, six. Um, and you go up to a summit pinnacle that's the size of like a park bench. Um, and it's just super cool, amazing experience. Then you run back down to the lake, swim right back across the lake to get to your bike and then bomb back down the hill to finish at the foot of El Cap. And it comes out to almost a perfect hundred mile day. Um, that just really encapsulates like a day of romping in Yosemite, um, <laughs> in the multi-sport fashion. So yeah, if somebody comes along and beats me, or I might even just go do it again for just for the fun. pure love of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's one very, very proud of that one. Um, it was a cool experience. Yeah. And Tenaya Lake is the largest lake in Yosemite. I just found that out. Uh, um, well, I, I went to the third largest lake in Yosemite, and we, were, we thought it might be the largest because it was pretty big, which is Lake Tilden. And then uh, we're like, wow, Tenaya is bigger than t- – it didn't seem like it, but I guess, you know, because Tilden is very long and, you know, Tenaya is kind of round. But I guess it is the largest lake in Yosemite. So, you know, kind of add some cool cachet, swim across uh-huh. the largest lake, you know. Well, there we go. Yeah. I should, uh, I should update my update route description. Right, update it. <laughs> Let people Man, know what they're getting into. How terrifying is that descent, though? Like coming coming back down uh, from Tanaya back down to El Cap, you know, with the traffic. Especially if you're trying to get a record, you're obviously uh, probably you know you're not you're not using the brakes too much, right? <laughs> yeah. What's nice is what's nice is um, it's you're able to you're able to hold speeds that are right around the speed limit. Okay. Um, so you're not worried about cars coming up fast behind you yeah. and you're not too worried about catching up except in some steeper sections. If you got caught behind a larger rig or an RV, like they could be going quite a bit slower than you wanted to go. Yeah. Um, but it actually worked out really well. I don't think we got held up by a vehicle at all on the descent back down. It went pretty smooth. And what was your time on that? Well, I guess you said that you do it in a day, right? So it's, uh... yeah, 14, 14 hours, 36 minutes. If I remember right, was our time. That's great. That's amazing. <laughs> what a cool route. <laughs> yeah. um, do you think now, is that something you're going to keep doing? Do you think you're going to keep creating your own routes? Do you have other ones that you're eyeing that you're, you're kind of inventing? Is this like a new hobby? Well, I mean, it's like, I've never, I've never once like purported to be the top athlete. Like I'm some kind of elite athlete that it's like, you'll never beat my times. It's like, I'm a PE teacher. Um, I do this cause I love it. I do this cause it gives me permission to tell stories to my, my students about the amazing world we live in and what's possible for a regular human being. Some, some, some kid from some small town. Um, and so I don't know, I think almost my bigger contribution, since I seem to have a knack for linking together these really cool things. Um, and I have the skill set to like go out and execute and prove that they're possible. I think that it is almost my bigger contribution is to like continue to create routes that then other young athletes can go, Oh man, maybe that's possible for me. Um, and come like, you know, smash my time on and then be like, Oh yeah, that hard drive guy. He's so, he's so yesteryear. He's old and slow. Um, (laughs) and then be like, but yeah, you did my route. (laughs) It catches up to all, it catches up to all of us. Right. (laughs) Oh man. Don't I know it. Uh, Hey Jason. So, 
you mentioned your kids uh, that you, you teach um, and that the way that you're able to speak to them and be an inspiration to them and you know talk to them about what you've done. Do you have any kids who have been inspired to do something similar to like, you know, get into, you know, some some kind of extreme, whether it's FKTs or long runs or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I've had students, uh, even while they were still students, like go out and climb Mount McLaughlin and Mount Shasta with me, which, yeah, Shasta's a 14er. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty committing experience. Um, and then, I don't know, I'd say if I had to pick out one that I was super proud of, uh, a kid named Chris Eck, he's, uh, he's in college now. And he kind of, he, he, he gathered like the sort of goal setting mindset and like digging deep and working hard and kind of first figured out he could really make a success of himself if, if he was just willing to put in more work than everyone else was putting in. And he applied it to his extracurriculars. He applied it to his schoolwork and he ended up uh, landing himself the Ford scholarship, which here in Oregon covers your, uh, your college tuition ex uh, expenses and your living expenses while you're in college. And then, you know, being, you know, sort of developing the same sort of goal setting and entrepreneurial mindset, he, uh, he's instead of just like, oh, I'm just going to live in student housing and like, let the scholarship kind of just disappear. He is actually like buying his own house with the money that would have like just been paid to like for student housing. So he's like being really clever and setting himself up really well. Um, and so it's actually, which to me, you know, it's always, it's, it's not about them doing exactly what I do. It's about them finding the highest form of whatever it is they're interested in doing. And, you know, he still runs and he still takes care of himself, like as far as like keeping his fitness good and all that. But it's like, he's really taken to sort of making a game out of like, okay, how can, how can I figure out all the ins and outs of setting myself up in life? And it's like, man, I don't even own a house and, and you're, you're, uh, you know, not even 21 years old and you're already on the way to owning your house. <laughs> it's like, at some point I'm going to need to be talking to you for advice. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, so, well, I think that's the, that's a beautiful thing because now you've inspired him and in some ways he's inspiring others and, and even yourself included. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing to see what he's doing and just to imagine like another decade in the future. It's like, I don't think, because obviously, right, he's, he's so young. I don't think he has a way to grasp just how well he's setting himself up, how much he's crushing it. Um, you know, it's like the water. It's just, it's just the only thing he knows. Um, and so it's going to be cool to see him sort of like come to understand just the difference he's making in his own life um, over the next decade where he's like, wow, like my life is a lot different than a lot of the other people who didn't take the same approach uh, since they graduated high school. Um, yeah, so I'm excited for him. I'm really excited and definitely, definitely stoked. And obviously, I mean, I have to give credit to like all the other people in his life that were positive influences. I mean, it wasn't just me, of course. It takes a village to raise a child. Um, but to have played a part in that, he was one of those that I took up Mount McLaughlin and I took up Mount Shasta. And, you know, he actually openly admitted to me is like, yeah, me and the friends you took up the mountain, like we were starting to mess around with marijuana and, and, you know, drinking and all that. And this is, they were like going into the seventh grade at this mm. point. Yeah. And you took us up the mountains and it was like, 
so much cooler of an experience to go out there with you and to just feel like powerful and capable and see those views and do those things uh, that we decided to not mess around with it anymore. Uh, and I was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you know, that was the paycheck right there. Like, yeah, holy right? cow. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, definitely, definitely, definitely an amazing thing to have been a part of to, to be able to influence someone else toward perhaps a slightly better trajectory in life than they would have. And I don't know, in a way that's the, the best thing we can hope for with our life is that we leave ripples behind that nudge people to be a little bit better than they maybe would have if we hadn't existed. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Jason, you're clearly doing a lot of that and you're doing it for a lot of people. Um, why don't, you know, uh, thanks for coming on. Is there, is there any, you know, how can people find you? How can more people, even more people, you know, be inspired by your, uh, your FKTs and everything? Uh, I'm on, I'm on Instagram, uh, just Jason Hardrath, uh, no periods, no underscores, um, on Facebook and, uh, yeah, those are probably, those are probably the two easiest ways. Uh, you know, people can find my email through there and I also have a website that's just jasonhardraft.com that people can email me through. Um, I coach if, if somebody's looking for, you know, coaching to get into this stuff themselves. Um, Yeah. And I, I'm always an open ear to hear crazy adventure ideas. Yeah. And hey, I'm just going to put in another plug for your movie, Journey to 100. It'll be in the show notes. Give it a watch. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's really good. So uh, so thanks for coming on, Jason. It was awesome talking to you. This was such yeah, a pleasure. Both a of you, pleasure. Jeff, yeah. Jason, thank you. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support us financially, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash ATAP. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women, that's Adventure US Women, Jeff at The SoCal Hiker, or me at The Mirror Project. Our title track Almost There is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. We'll be back in a couple weeks with a new episode, so thanks for tuning in.